Anchor. You can just submit things on there now. So they can go to Anchor and submit stuff to us? They can submit stuff to us, and we can respond to it. Uh, and it's free. It costs nothing, which is pretty sick. Uh, because before, we were just dumping money into a site that would, you know, hold it ransom. I literally had to pay a different site. I had to pay to get in to download our stuff to put it on Anchor. Really? Yeah, I had to pay uh, like $15 because I let it expire to just get our stuff off and put it up on Anchor. And Anchor will never do that. So, all right. Yeah, we just get it all the time. Do you, do you have the app on there? Can we respond through the app? Yeah, you can download the app. You can respond to the things through there. You can edit your podcast through there. You can like you can record it so you can take it to your friend's house and just record it through your phone and post huh. it instantly. And and anyone that eventually chooses to contact us can contact us through there too. So that's Yeah, you can contact us through there. I like that you can uh it, you just put it on there and it puts it on like Spotify and iTunes and Google for you. I don't know. It's made it a lot easier. That's for sure. Yeah. We were, how many hours a week were you putting into like making sure everything got published before? Do you, do you remember? Um, I mean, not a lot of time, but enough time that it's, you know, it's nice having anchor because it's just easier. Okay. See, and this is a switch that I was told about last time, but I, I didn't know that uh, we could communicate with an actual fan base through it. I think that's pretty cool. Yep. Um, and there's advertisements. Yeah. Don't forget about that. You don't even have to have any listeners. So. Yeah. Um, Three, two, one. And we're live. Sweet. So uh, one thing that I wanted to talk about that's been bothering me um, – it's, it's kind of stupid, but you know how you're just out and about and people ask like, oh, how are you doing? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I usually respond with okay. Mm -hmm. And lately that appears to be a problem for some people. Uh, like, oh, why only okay? Why not great? Why not good? Oh. Uh, it's like, um, what's wrong with okay? You know, like. And here's the thing. No <laughs> one really wants to know. You know what I mean? Like, if, yeah. you, if you say, like, great, it's going to be the same outcome as if you said good, except they harassed you. So who's really doing great? Not them. Yeah. And so, and I'm, like, really open about my life. Yeah. So uh, I will literally tell you, if you ask me that question on the street, I will literally tell you exactly how I am doing that day. And then they don't, and then they're like, oh, and they act yeah. all strange about it. Like, like they oh, oh, like, why, why is it, like, why aren't you doing good? You like, know? I'm sorry, didn't you ask? Yeah, like, how, how, how I'm doing? How are you doing? Uh, I'm not doing that great today. Uh, why is that? Uh, you know, and. It's like, oh, a conversation I wasn't prepared for, even though I asked a question. Yeah, and so I, my go-to answer is okay. If everything's going fine in my life at the time, my go-to answer is okay, and that seems to not be like what people want to hear. Yeah. So that really kind of like I noticed that over the last week or so I was like what's wrong with being okay? You know, like why can't things just be okay? You know, like yeah. It's the ups and downs in life and life that proves that you're alive, right? So Yeah. Why why does it have to be great or a like 
just a facsimile, a great, or like a facade sort of a deal. Yeah, that's that's a big misconception, especially with social media. Everyone thinks that everyone's life's great all the time. Like we have this perception that, like, just because you post certain things online or whatever, it, it's always great. But everyone goes through like downs and and like the stuff you don't see is what builds the success of what you do see yeah i've been riding a a valley of going on like six or seven months now you know like i'm just surviving right now so yeah and if somebody asks me how you doing i'm gonna tell them you know i'm surviving i you know today i beat my record for most consecutive days lived that's about the only thing i've got going for me (laughs) i kind of i guess as i get older a little bit and like how many times things appeared like they were going to go shitty or like they were going to end and how it always works out i guess i've slowly built this tolerance of just like rolling with it yeah and that's all you really can do that's what life is yeah and eventually the anxiety kind of dissipates it gets less because you kind of know it's going to work out like all the things that we prioritize as things we think are important really you learn aren't as important as you thought as you get a little bit older true yeah the most important thing to me um is my health and the health of my family you know like anything else is just noise at That's, this point in my life, I like uh, I like the Ty Lopez. The, you know who Ty Lopez is? No. Here in my garage with my Lamborghini. You never mm, seen that? No. So his big philosophy is four pillars of success: health, wealth, love, and happiness. And wealth can come in any form. You know, just generosity. People like you know whatever that right, might be. Right, right. But those are four good foundational pillars. Uh, so. That was just one thing I wanted to get off my chest and hopefully people think about, like, if you ask somebody how they're doing and they give you an honest answer um, where they say, okay, or like, you know, I'm, today's a shitty day, you know, just take that for what it is. You asked them, you know, you, I know you're just conforming to us like a social norm, a nicety, but you ask them how they're doing. And if they're like me and they tell you exactly how it's going on uh just kind of accept that for what it is and don't get on their case about it because what do you think that is what do you think people do that nicety is it do you think it's like trickery in their head like they think they're being a good person just by asking even though they don't care uh no i think it's just a cultural thing you know like if you go to europe um especially eastern europe yeah people don't even make eye contact with each other walking down the street Um, so it's just like, uh, it, it's one of those things that's happened in America over the years where it's just part of our culture to be like, Oh, Hey, how's it going? You know, or, uh, at the end of a transaction, have a good day. You know, like that doesn't happen in the Eastern Bloc countries. Right. So, yeah, it is very odd. Like night, it's for sure good to be nice, but when there's a cultural precedence on expecting everyone to be a certain way it feels fake and then it it creates this environment of feeling like you're around ingenuine people all of the time and i think a lot of it is utah culture as well yeah um utah has this uh better than now feeling well not just that they have uh a big reason why meth is a problem here is people feel like they have to put forward this face of like everything's going okay all the time 
And, yeah. you know, there's only 24 hours in a day. And some of these people put put themselves are willingly or unwillingly into situations where they need 26 out of 24 hours. Yeah. And uh, that's when they start, you know, like you have um, Mormon mothers that are uh, on meth because they have eight kids and they're expected to lose weight and be back down to what they look like during their wedding photos and keep a house, get all the kids to their practices and school on time. And, uh, you know, like it's just stuff like that. And it's, it's a face that they have to put forward. It's another thing too. It's like an alternative personality. And when you start compartmentalizing yourself like that, it creates long-term psychological side effects. Absolutely. Like Um, you're going to just bury yourself in the ground. Like, and, and maybe a lot of people listening to this will think like, and I found myself doing this, especially when I was a little bit younger and you're trying to impress everybody. So you try to act like you act different around different people. Correct. And for the longest time I thought mirroring was like the proper thing to do until I realized like the power of just being yourself. And right. People actually gravitate towards that cause it's different. Yeah. And well, mirroring is just part of the normal, um, development for a human being or primates primates in general yeah like that's just like part of our genetic code to learn how to function as part of a society is to mirror the actions of those around us and i mean in the end that's all we are right is just observing and then regurgitating what we've seen in some way like Right. You may look up to somebody and examine traits that they have and then try to apply that into your life, and that's how you evolve. Right. Or you see somebody, and they're doing something that you don't like, and then they uh, that's a trait that you don't want, you know, and you're like, okay, well, that's something I don't want to emulate, so I'm going to not do that. Yeah. Um, so another thing... Uh, hard shift of gears here uh grinding the grinding the gears um is so squat girl from uh snapchat was it or tinder 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 yeah so uh you actually got to meet her face to face i did yeah i did uh how how's that going she's a good person honestly and the funny thing is, I think we both approached it thinking it was not going to be anything more than just, you know, something quick. Tom Fullery. Yeah. Yeah. But the more I got to know her, because I've hung out with her like two or three times. Yeah. And just the, con- like, it ended up, the first time I went over to, to her house and we ended up talking for like six hours. Awesome. Like three in the morning. Yeah. And it was very much like a in-depth conversation, like... Any sort of weird tension kind of went away, and we just kind of talked, and then I left. Cool. And, cool. You know, yeah. Well, um, it's it's good though. Yeah. So it, uh, you said that she climbs, which is awesome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I'm an avid fan of climbing. Uh, everyone that knows me knows that, and. <clears throat> that just excites me because that's one more person I get to climb with. Uh, even though she's only indoor right now, I'll convert her. Well, really, it excites me too because she's about the same skill as me. So climbing somebody like climbing with somebody like that, I kind of get a mastermind and strategize with someone on my same skill level. Yeah, uh, there's something cool about that for sure. Yeah, um, 
for me, when it comes to stuff like climbing, though, uh, or any other sport for that matter, you do have to hang around people that are above your skill level because that's the only way you're going to improve. Yep. So. Yeah, and that's why I appreciate going with you, too, is because then I can go with you, and then when I go with her, there's, like, little things I can say, like, pivoting the toe and, like, being able to do that, but techniques yeah or just watching someone around my skill level climb it just to see how they do it right right um and there was actually yeah momentum's first of all momentum's a piece of shit which momentum did you go to but i'm just talking about the bouldering how their bouldering is it's very straight line it's just very up and down oh yeah and it's very the the grips we were climbing they do weird uh was it like what were you on like a v1 v2 or v3 V3, well, that's that's your problem. What does that equate to? That's like a 5.10, 5.11. Okay, so I ended up doing it, but it was hard as shit. Yeah, and, and that's to, the intent. I had to watch a ex- very experienced climber do it. I, actually, I asked him how long he's been climbing. He's like, this long. He's like, try it this way. And he goes up and he did something I had. He flung his, his right hip out in a way I didn't even think about. Yeah, And changing uh, the sev- center of gravity. Yeah, but it, you know, there's wait, maybe that was actually just a V. That might have been just a V, V two. Well, even a V two, that's pretty. <clears throat> it was pretty aggressive, but they get aggressive fast. Even some of yeah. the V ones are yeah ridiculous. I think the front just has a better layout, and it's more the grips themselves feel more organic and kind of rubbery, and you can really get a grip on them. Whereas momentum, they feel plasticky. I felt. Well, uh. If you want a true bouldering experience, obviously nothing's going to beat uh, actual rock. Going out there, right. But you don't want something rubbery. Uh, and th- that that has give to it. That means you can increase your surface area on it. Granite's not going to have that kind of give. That's true. Yeah. Um, quartzite's not going to have that kind of gr- give. Maybe yeah. sandstone might have a little bit of give. But you want to climb on something that's similar to what you're going to be climbing outdoors. Sure. And the best way to do that is just go outside. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You would hate, uh, I don't know. Have you been to the Sandy Momentum? I've been to every climbing gym within like a 50 mile radius of my house. So Momentum, I feel like the reason it kind of sucks is because the entry to price is so cheap. So you have so many people there. Oh, yeah. All of the time. Yeah. yeah. And that's just the front you do. But at, at the same time, you're paying, what, $30 more. You get 80-foot walls instead of 40-foot walls. True. And honestly, you're paying for the community. And you're paying for the experience of it being like a chill hangout. Like right. Like ping pong tables. Whereas Momentum, it's very much like it's like the Vasa of climbing gyms. I agree. I agree. So... um. Yeah, uh, at the front, you're going to get people that are they're not there recreationally. They are truly dedicated to their craft. Right. Um, and you get that at Momentum, too, just because it's like a lot of climbers are broke because they spend yeah. all of their money on gear. Right. But at the same time, it's got an entry-level price, like you said, that allows – a family of like eight that thought it would be a good idea to take this up as a summer, like family night activity, right. um, go there and they fig- quickly figure out they don't like it, but then they feel obligated to show up. 
Yeah. Yeah. So. I like the front just because I feel like one the paths I feel <laughs> like are much, much better thought out. Yeah. And I feel like momentum they would cr- so they have over the one that I went to had some overlapping courses right but they had a V1 where you had to reach over another it was like a V6 and it was like this yellow burrow that came out that you had to reach over so basically the V6 directly intervened with the V1 okay and i feel like there are certain just how their walls are set up like if a rock falls out i don't feel like they put it back in cuz there are certain situations i felt like this is this is a V zero, and there should be something like here. I shouldn't have to right. be throwing my left leg above my head. Uh, yeah, I can see that. Um, that is one thing that though that you run into with climbing gyms is the longer the routes up, the more abuse it takes. The more, especially um, the lower the skill level that it requires. Right. So, uh, there's been a few times where I've been just warming up on a nine or a 10 in the front and I'll put my foot on a hold and it's just spinning. Right. And, um, that's, again, that's the risky run. Whereas if you go outside, that toe hold breaks off and it, it's done. Like there's no more hold <laughs> there yeah. period. Right. So, yeah, it's, um, I don't know. It's I see the benefit, like for anyone who wants to climb that doesn't have the money to go to the front, for sure. I actually asked the girl that I, that I've been seeing a little bit if if she's been to the front. She won't go because her ex goes there. Or one Fair enough. So you know, maybe when the Mill Creek one opens, that'll change. But yeah, um, well, <coughs> it is a hobby. Just like any other, that if you really get into it, it it becomes expensive quick. Yeah, it does. Um, but and it's like not consciously expensive. Like you just pour money into it without realizing it. Right. So, so for me, that's why I prefer to go outside because climbing outside is free. I don't have to pay a membership for it. Like a hundred bucks a month. R- right, but I do have to pay in the way of getting gear that's adequate enough to protect myself. Yeah. So you're your own money maker. You got to spend a little money to protect what makes the fucking money. <laughs> yeah. That's how and, I see it. And especially when it comes to climbing gear, you know, like golf. I, I think when you get on the, on a high performance level of any um, sport or activity, you definitely get what you pay for. But especially um, when it comes to safety equipment, you know, yeah. like, yeah, you can lead, uh, you can do lead climbs on 5.11s, 12s, 13s. You could be a kick-ass climber, but if if you take that one whipper and you don't have a carabiner that's up to snuff, then yeah. Yeah. that's lights out, you know? So. so now someone who's never been outside climbing, uh, where would you take me first? I, locally, I'd probably take you to Dogwood. Dogwood? Okay. Yeah, do- Dogwood. Uh or the slips, uh, those two areas have some like five six to five nines outdoors yeah. that I I feel comfortable free soloing if I have to. Right, that's the biggest thing. Like I've seen some of the pictures that you've done. Like you're, you know, you're you're four hundred feet off the ground right. or whatever, five hundred, whatever it is. Right, 
And I look at that, it scares the shit out of me. But at the same time, I realize you've progressed up to that. Yes. Over a lot of time. And that's yeah. what I have to get over is like, I see you and what you've achieved and it intimidates me. But at the same time, I mean, it all starts from basics and working up and just yeah. being consistent. Yeah. And I, I, I'm really cautious about where I take beginners because, uh, you know, there was this one guy, uh, I met him in school. His name's Anise. He's a foreign exchange student from Nepal. And you're all like, oh, a Nepalese guy. He'd be fucking great at mountain climbing, right? Yeah. Not the case. Was that the guy that bailed out and you had to leave a bunch of gear up there? No, that was my buddy Richie, and that's just because he started pissing his pants over the height. Okay. But uh, Anise, um, I've easily got 40 pounds on this kid mm. um, because I'm fat. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, the, this this kid, no idea how to set a route, no idea how to clean a route, you know, and I take that into consideration yeah. because I went out with him and I, I did a test fall on mm-hmm. him and I almost decked because he didn't know what he was doing. Right. And I told him exactly what he had to do. Just panic and stress. Y- and yeah, exactly. And um, luckily that would have only been like a 10-foot deck. Right. I would have been hurting, but I wouldn't have been dead. But still. Uh, so um, I usually take people to routes that I know I can free solo if I need to. Okay. Um, when it's their first time outside, and then I build from there. Gotcha. And that's, that's reassuring to know. Uh, and that's what I that's what I would do with you or this one girl if she ever wanted to go go outside with me. Yeah. Um, you know and. Uh, I have some friends that are like climbing is a super big passion of theirs. It's a passion of mine, but not on the same level as these people. Like yeah. I'm focusing on school right now, trying to, I'm trying to get myself to a place financially where I can afford to go climbing five days a week and work these too. These people are at like their stage three in their life where that's what they're doing main. Yeah. But they're also in nursing school with me. Oh, they are. Yeah. Okay. And like, that's all they give a shit about is climbing. And it's like, that's awesome because like, I get it. I I've got the bug, but clearly not as bad. Yeah. If <laughs> I go in the hospital, if I go in the hospital, I want to be treated by someone who paid attention to nursing school instead of climbing, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, yeah. And I'm thinking about when I get out of uh, nursing school about doing some travel nursing because that'll allow me to go climbing in different areas while also earning a paycheck. I'd yeah. have to I'd have to um see what my wife thinks about that, but Yeah. I think it'd be good a good deal for sure. Yeah, I think so. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'd love to run up to the gunks in New York or Red River Gorge or whatever. Yeah, I was uh, I was talking to that girl about that, actually. Just what's valuable to me now more than anything is time. Absolutely. And That's I, the one thing you can't get back. Absolutely not. Like, Time is the only – because I spent so much time stressing about money, stressing about materialistic things or status in my life when – like time is a hundred percent the most important to me. When you start spending eight hours a day at a job or 12 hours, you know, whatever it is, studying or doing something you don't want to do necessarily has this draining effect. Yeah. And 
it's totally different if it's something you don't want to do and sacrifice for something that you do want to do. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, like for me, I, I have yet to meet a single doctor or – I mean, like everyone likes to learn things. But right. I have yet to meet a, a specialist, a doctor, a nurse, anybody who thoroughly enjoys actual school. Oh, right. no. Yeah. Yeah. But that's all in – you're sacrificing that to do something that you want to do. Like whether, even if you're doing research, it's not school at that point, you know, you're still learning, but it's not school anymore. It's like, it's your job to learn. Right. Um, yeah. So that, and that's why I want to get my, uh, pathologist friend on here. Yeah. Cause she's been working at that for probably like well over a decade maybe close to 20 years. Wow. Uh, she's a family friend. She's not like somebody I grew up with, but she's somebody I've known for... Long time. Yeah, probably since I was about seven or eight years old. Okay. Uh, and finally getting to where they want to be, but it's taken them a long time to get there. Yeah, it takes time for anything. Like That's the one thing people don't get a lot of the times they just see the end result and they're like why am i not there oh my, yeah my life sucks and then they go down this thing but anything worth having always always sucks ass to get yeah and <clears throat> i think about that because there's a lot of uh people you look back at in history mm-hmm. um leonardo da vinci yeah um for instance he was an engineer, he was an artist, he was an architect. He did tons of stuff, but he also didn't have all these distractors that we have right now. Yeah. So, like, where you might spend time watching The Simpsons, he was spending his time, like, figuring out math equations or... Reading, writing. Yeah. Talking yeah, exactly. to people. Yeah. Yeah, and... There Thinking. Is, <laughs> yeah, there, there, there's... um. Yeah, there's no laugh tracks back in the 1500s to tell you when you're supposed to feel an emotion or not. Right. And uh, that is something that's admirable to me, but it's also you have to realize that that's not congruent with our current society. Like that's not going to be a thing anymore unless society collapses and we lose television. Yeah, I think it it really comes down to what – what determines that sort of uh, determination now or what exceeds you is your level of discipline. And I think that's what's missing a lot now because there are all these distractions, but if you possess the discipline to separate yourself, and obviously not all of the time, but for the most part, like if you can say, I should be doing this and not this, that's a step in the right direction, I think. Yeah, well, like today, I spent three hours in the books rather than going for a hike and yeah i would rather go for a hike but absolutely uh you know it's it's a it's a balance for sure and i i respect the hell out of um those guys from way back when in ancient times that they didn't have anything to do, so they progressed humanity. Yeah, yeah. Like, I I really respect the hell out of that because it is 
um, something that most of Western society nowadays would not do. Yeah, it comes down, and everyone says they don't have time for things. I don't have time, but when you stop wasting time, you realize how much time you actually have. Right, and that's it's like it's mind-boggling how much time we do have, but we we trickle it into like whatever it might be. Yeah, I can spend two hours a day watching TV. Yeah, and that eats up two hours of my time versus where I could be using time to hone a craft or learn something different. And you know what? I'm not gonna lie to you guys. I'm not on a soapbox right now. I use that two hours to watch TV because I'm a lazy piece of shit sometimes. Yeah. And not only that, like, enter- there is something to be said for entertainment. Like, people need entertainment. Like, if you go back, even back to Roman times, right? Yeah. Like, they, as barbaric as it is, they had the Colosseum for entertainment, yes. right? Like, people need entertainment. Yeah. Um but the difference between that and uh, Leonardo da Vinci and myself mm-hmm. is the fact that when entertainment was available, yeah, like you know a a, a thing run at the Colosseum or with da Vinci, like if he went to go see plays or whatever, I'm sure he did. That was like. Once every couple of weeks, maybe. Right. Or or whatever, where, like, for me, entertainment is as easy as sitting down on my couch and pressing a button. Yeah. And, yeah. like, boom, I can sit there, and before I know it, three hours has gone by. Yeah. And so... There's something to be said about that, though, because the rest of your life, like, you need to accommodate for your stress level. You need to, like, give yourself that break and... Not even necessarily entertainment, but something just you enjoy doing or watching or or participating in. Right, which is why I've started painting more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's that's a great outlet to do that. And I um, think, like, who was it? Grant Cardone says that the 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 devil. When you see the devil, the devil isn't some guy with some horns. The devil is blank space on a calendar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's. Uh, I feel like that's really true, especially for people in um, my generation, uh, this weird area where we're millennials, but we're not quite millennials yet. Yeah. Uh, like, we're, we're at that cusp of where technology was freely available to everything yeah. and everyone, but I didn't grow up like that. Right. You know, I'm not a quote-unquote true millennial, how I fall in the age range. Yeah. But a lot of people, when they think of millennial, they think of somebody that grew up with a computer in their house, had access to internet, you know, gaming systems. All this technology was, like, freely available to them. Um, And for people of my age or slightly older, it's it's just a little different because – we didn't have that. We still went outside. Yeah. Um, on what year were you born? I was born in 88. 88. Okay. So they say from age nine or from year 95 to 85 is this weird mixed generation. And they actually, I've read a lot of things on like Bloomberg and the Washington post, New York times. Exactly. All of these things saying that we're this middle generation 
and that we're actually at a huge advantage because we were at the transition point because I'm on the very edge. I still do remember having to call my friends on a landline, right? like going over to their house, knocking on their door to see if they want to hang out. So I kind of get Correct. that. And then I saw it transform into social media. I never had a smartphone growing up. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I never had a flip phone until later. I, I, um, I didn't have a really intelligent cell phone until I joined the Navy and could buy one myself. Yeah. Same with me. I had and, to buy, yeah. And that was 2010. Yeah. I mean, like, uh, up until that point, I'd spent, uh, let's see, I, I went through seventh grade, eighth grade, uh, 2001, 2002, happened to use friends' computers. Right. Yeah. Okay. To, to like, do research for schoolwork. Yeah. Or go to the library. Um, so, technology isn't like, it's part of my life. I've learned to adapt and grow with it, but it it hasn't always been there. Hell, we learned how to balance checkbooks. Yeah. In in yeah junior high or middle, you know whatever. They it was. probably don't teach that anymore. I would assume. I would guess not. I mean, we had to know how to like source references from books. We had to do all of this stuff. That's yeah. Just not a thing anymore. Yeah. Uh, and that you know that's useful in its own way, but at the same time, the more you rely on the technology, the weaker this society gets. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, well, um, anyway, what I was trying to say as far as I'm concerned is, like, I'm in nursing school. Yeah. And I have a bunch of people that are a generation younger than me. Uh Uh-huh. And they are fully integrated into this – technology and they grew up with it they grew up like having cell phones when they were in elementary school and it is it's kind of a baffling thing for me because i'm one of those people in the class i'm i'm not quite i'm not the oldest person in the class but i'm i fall into the group where like these younger kids definitely look at us and go like like what the fuck's wrong with you? Why can't you look this up yourself? You know, like I come from a time where you had to rely on people more than you relied on technology. And I, I grew up in a time where I probably should be a part of that in a, like really integrated into it. And I still use social media for marketing and all this stuff. Understanding right, right. it is one thing, but like getting abducted into it, it's a different thing. And I feel like the separation of not wanting to have that because I mean, when was the last time that somebody for the listeners, like somebody told you something and you said, Oh wow, I didn't know that. But instead it's turned into this. Let me look this up so I can prove you wrong. Or let me look this up. I run into that with my wife all the time. (laughs) Like we're the same age, but I run into that with my wife all the time because she works with children yeah. So she is more accustomed to sure. oh, yeah, to yeah, doing yeah. that. She's in that environment. More. Yeah, yeah. And I, I'll be like, you know, I think this is what this person meant, or like this is the research behind this or that, whatever it is we're talking about. And she'll just be like, well, let me just Google it really quick. And that's an amazing thing to be able to do. Yeah. But at the same time, it kind of like it it, it, it hurts. Strange. 
Yeah, yeah it's it. strangers, right? She like people know us, so when they receive information, they should be like, "Oh, I trust this person. I have rapport with this person. Right. Therefore, this information I should take is true or false based on what I think of this person." Um, <laughs> but I mean, it's it's not even just just her. It's so ma- it's om- it's the majority. it's everyone. It's a majority. Yeah, it's everyone. Um, yeah, and I mean like. Sometimes she proves me wrong, and sometimes she doesn't. Uh, and the, that's fine. That's going to happen during a good debate yeah. or whatever. But it's it's just kind of hurtful when that happens every single time you bring up a topic. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's strange. The Internet's a stranger. But for whatever reason, we had developed this cognitive dissonance in believing that what we see in text is just how it is. I guess. Right, right. Yeah, uh, if it's on the internet, it must be true sort of deal. Yeah, and there's something to do with, like, I remember reading the actual, like, science behind the refresh rate of monitors or 60, like, it flashes 60 times per second. Really? There's something, yeah, that's a, the refresh rate of the monitor means it refreshes the image 60 times per second. Really? So when it flashes that, it's not a coincidence that 60 hertz also happens to be, uh, it puts you into this state of, when you receive information, you kind of internalize it more than you normally would. Hmm. Um, and, you know, that could be looked at as well. Well, I, I had no idea about the – I don't – I know nothing about refresh rates or anything like that. Yeah. Um, I I had no idea about that, to be honest with you. Like, it's inter- that, like that's how d- – that's how unintouched with technology I am. Well, like, most, most people are, and they don't realize, like – this 60 hertz thing, like, it very well at one point could have been implemented to be used as, like, some sort of control system. Um, but it's standardized now. Like, back in the day, it's it's 60 flashes right in front of your face. or very precise numbers that, cor- that correlate directly with psychology studies saying, I mean, if you look, if you want to get really deep into it, you can look into patents that the Air Force patented to be able to manipulate uh, like cell towers and Wi-Fi signals to manipulate what you hear based on frequency. There's patents. Jokes the on them. My right ear's fucked up. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, And I'm right-handed, so I usually hold, hold my phone to my right side. But some of the patents put in by the military-industrial complex are things like being able to manipulate frequency and communication to control what people hear and think. Okay, so... I have a question for for you, Caden. Yeah. Um, what is in your mind the military-industrial complex? What is that? The mer- military-industrial complex is a. It's basically the White House of the military. It is okay. the, the culmination of the top minds in intelligence, counterintelligence, the general, basically. The General Operations Center of the military. Okay. So um, do you equate, like, the head of the Department of Defense with that, like, or? Nope. No? I do not. So, well, like, I when. Think, when I think he has a good relationship. He probably has a good relationship with uh, the generals, but I don't. I think the military-industrial complex operates under its own thing, and that's how it should be for the most part. There should probably be some. Oversight, which there's isn't there congressional oversight to some degree of the military? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so they have to be signed to go to war, all these things. So, so usually when I hear military industrial complex, I think of uh, people that are 
like yourself, really big conspiracy theorists, and they're yeah, like, yeah, yeah. oh, there's black helicopters, and, yeah. and you know, like, Obama even came out and said, like, yes, there are black helicopters, but um, they're not going to come and take your shit away from you just at the, like, drop of a hat. Right. Um, the, I guess the – this is what I believe with the military-industrial complex. Okay. So, anyways, I believe the military-industrial complex. Yes. Okay, this is what I believe. I believe that the technological uh, technological uh, side of the Pentagon, the technological branch of the Pentagon, rather, is called DARPA. DARPA? Now, DARPA, it is among conspiracy theorists to believe that DARPA introduced what we now know as the Internet because the military had the technology – but they did not know how to develop the technology. Therefore, okay. they introduced the technology to what they created as the internet to have the public bring the technology up for them so that they could harvest the technology. And that actually brings us into a transition point into talking about the Chinese surveillance state. Okay. You're talking about the 5G thing. Um, not necessarily 5G, but just the, the overwhelming amount of cameras. Uh that they okay. have stationed in, in China. So I heard this thing on, uh, I want to say it was the New York Times Daily like thing in the morning okay. that you listen to. Yeah. And they talked about the Chinese, uh, the Chinese surveillance state and what that kind of means. So China has used technology to kind of, in the past five years, has kind of transformed their civilization into a totalitarianistic, uh, state-run capitalistic motto. Yeah. Uh, there are what's called convenience police stations, and they're like mm. convenience stores, but they're everywhere. And they're at, at any moment, one can come up, ask for your ID. Um, really? They, yeah, they've implemented facial recognition technologies for stores. So if you want to go in a store, you have to go up to it, read your face. That is connected with a central database that knows where you're it, it knows everything about you. All of these mm. cameras have real-time tracking. Um, as you're walking down the street, they can pull up surveillance and have – a little box around your head as it's moving down the camera has all your information, your address, where you live, your family members. Now, interesting. This is where it gets super interesting is that if the Chinese government believed that you are a predominant figure, let's say you're a YouTuber or somebody, a singer or somebody that right. is uh, getting some success. Well, what An they'll influencer. Do, what they'll do is they'll send you to what's called a re-education camp. Um, and basically what my that favorite is, type of camp, right? It basically indoctrinates you into, uh, communist China beliefs. Um, okay. And not only that, but they will use that on the public as a means of like intimidation. So for example, th I think they, they covered a kid who was moving to the United States or was coming to the United States for some reason. And his whole family wanted to come, but they would not give a passport to the mother. They kept coming mm. up with excuses after excuse after excuse. You need to submit this and then this. Um, Do you know what the kid's name was? I, he was Chinese. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I could say it, but that, I, I mean, that's incredibly racist of you. <laughs> well, I mean, he's Chinese. I can't pronounce that. Uh, so, anyways, the mother ended up staying, and then after she left, um, it became sort of like a uh, they they put her in a re-education camp. Hmm. And then she didn't want to come to the United States after that. She was very quiet, very passive. And that's what they're trying to uh, create a motto after is that 
if the Chinese go- if the Chinese government suspect you of turning against the Chinese government, they will use their surveillance systems to punish your friends for knowing you. Wow. So they create a so- Hey, hey. Hey, uh so uh that was just the dog. The dog is uh causing some problems. Tugging on cords. So uh they send your friends to re-education. Uh not even not, they won't do that, but you can get punished. You can get um they can impose certain things on you that would make your life harder by knowing a person that is challenging the government. Okay. So what do they view as challenging the government, do you know? Um Anything that is outside of their censorship, anything against the communist regime. So what they'll do is they'll – their internet is very different in the sense it's censored mm-hmm. to like just re- – and here it's censored to some degree as well. But theirs is anything against uh, the leader, the president. Right, president Xi Jinping. Yeah. yeah. So anything against the president, it's all propaganda. They basically pump propaganda, and they actually have apps on the app store. So one of them is to race for the high score to who can clap for the president the hardest Wow! in, the, in a minute. So you click a button and clap, 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 clap. It's stuff like that. It's indoctrination into the belief of communism. Uh, and honestly, I think that we're doing the same thing in the United States, but we're going about it a different way. They're a lot more blatant. Here we have Snapchat. Snapchat has filters that have been capturing facing mapping for four or five years. Anyway, okay, so let me let me go back to China before <laughs> I get into that. During the Beijing Olympics, right, it was put on a front that we're going to China for the Olympics, and not right. a lot of people realize what that was for. The reason that we went to China for the Olympics was behind closed door. The Chinese Communist government showed off to the world what this surveillance system can do. And a lot of these comp- or a lot of these countries have implemented certain things to progress towards that, but China's been the only one successful because they implement it through fear. Right. Um, whereas here we have the Constitution. Other places in the world have different philosophies, so they have to move towards it in different ways. But they find the Chinese government have found that by having this heavily policed state. You can't drive through the city. You can't walk through this. You can't go in a store. You can't do anything without knowing where you're at, who you're with. Hmm. Somebody's pinged if you move over. I want to say I want to say it was 300 meters from your house. You become on a list. Every time you go outside of that range, they start monitoring you more and That's more. That's a really short range. Yeah. Yeah. So they want to make sure you're at where you're supposed to be. You're not talking to anyone that you're supposed to. And if you do do that, they'll punish your friends so that your friends will cut you off. Hmm. So they've implemented this credit social system, a score. Right, right. I've heard of that. And uh, it's heavily influenced how the Chinese people interact with each other. Hmm. So my whole idea is that we're doing the same thing. We're just doing it through private companies that the military is harvesting. Okay. Or the CIA or F- you know the CIA more predominant CIA NSA, um, but I think it's like dr- intelligence companies. Yeah, and I think it had to do directly with the Patriot Act. Absolutely, um, the the ability to monitor domestic wires to monitor for terrorism. Um, I mean, you know, that's a whole another story. But I I think. The whole reason we're hearing about this Chinese surveillance system now is because they're kind of priming us to, to get the concept of it. 
they're kind of getting us ready to like know it's a thing. It's like okay, it's a and thing. And maybe it's like one of those things where it's like oh, well, they're doing the same thing sort of, but it's not as bad as it is in China. Well, and they painted it to the Chinese people as like you'll be safer, you'll be able to like no one will steal your identity. Do you like, believe in the Bible? Uh, I believe that the Bible is a book of um, – you're not supposed to take a literal. It's more analogy. Okay. I, I think it's more wisdom and stowed through analogy and I don't – not literal, no. Okay. First of all, I am like hardcore not Christian. Um, I won't say I'm anti-Christianity. Yeah. But – just for those of you that wonder why I brought this up, I used to be. Um, I, I, I wanted to be a minister, and I was on track to be a minister back in the day. Um, I could have probably recited half of the New Testament by heart and a fourth of the Old Testament by heart. Uh, but in Revelation, uh, the book of Revelations, uh, they talk about stuff like this right so i'm just wondering what your take is and i've thought about this too coming from an lds background is like as much as i i believe the bible is entirely analogy and it's wisdom is like like i said it's 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 painted like a story metaphors you're supposed to pick out things and apply it to your life i think like i truly believe this the story with moses and the burning moses burning bush yeah yeah. Um, in that area of the world, it was predominantly known that there was a plant that contained uh, DMT, which is a psychedelic. Um, right, right. Uh, produced by this bush. And that could have been referenced as the burning bush. And he came back with these Ten Commandments that people should live by. Or if you go by uh, History of the World Part 1, there was originally 15, and he just dropped five of them. <laughs> <laughs> Those ones are too hard. <laughs> But I mean, it's it's the it's the it's taking analogy out of it. Like, I think it's deeper than that, and I think it's I think the people who wrote it know that it's deeper than that. But they had to paint it in a way that most people can understand. Right. I don't believe God's some guy in a cloud. I don't believe, you know, I don't I don't believe any of that shit. Uh, but I believe that there is some deep underlying meaning, and I think that things that are happening now are directly correlating with what is happening or what has said to be happening in revelations. So I do, it, it brings me back to kind of some of those deeper rooted things where it's like, Oh man, maybe I should look into this deeper. And I'm glad I did because I mean, just doing, just having the due diligence of going back, having that kind of LDS background of being able to look at it from that perspective, but also the perspective I've developed over years of saying like it's it's analogy man yeah i think it's analogy i think just like metaphors it's metaphor but it's it's there's some sort of and i don't know if that if a lot of what is painted was because of psychedelics or whatever but whatever they're painting in revelations a lot of it a lot of it is coming true so yeah well the way i see it is uh it's kind of like a fortune teller. They make generalist statements. Yeah. And then when something happens, they're like, oh, my God, you know, like that happened. Yeah. And 
you know, it talks about uh, a beast made of all eyes yeah. in, in Revelation. And if you look at that, you could be like, well, that is an army tank. You know, how else would they describe an army tank without knowing what it was? But at the same time, you could be like, well, that is just, uh, there was a type of boat out of China at that time that uh, was encapsulated by armor, and it looked like a beast with a ton of eyes on it. So, I mean, it's... I guess I view it for more like, and you being Buddhist or having a f- that sort of philosophy. Right. Um, my idea of what God is or the, you know, they refer to the spirit. I think God is baseline consciousness. I think we're all made up of the same baseline consciousness. And what defines us is the experiences we go through. And the spirit is the frequency you operate on so if you're a nice person if you're a bad if you're a nice person your frequency god can speak through you because you're operating at a frequency that is positive or okay i I, I just believe that our consciousness is god but in order for that to it's hard to i I have to have this written down to kind of articulate it but yeah so for me i i went from being um I'm going to just give you a little bit of personal background here. I went from being a very, very hardcore, born-again Christian. Um, and throughout some stuff in my life, uh, I decided that that wasn't correct for me. And I'm not saying that that is incorrect for you. But I, I decided that it wasn't correct for me. And uh, I was struggling with a lot of things. I mean, I, I, went, uh, I went to Afghanistan uh, back in 2012, 2013, um, I treated a lot of casualties. I was a combat medic back then, and I, I treated a lot of stuff that was pretty severe, and I just felt like the God that I felt like I knew and that I thought was real uh, wouldn't allow this kind of stuff to happen. And so I kind of came to a conclusion that I'm not in a correct path. But I also feel like people do need spiritual guidance or conscious guide, uh, yes. guidance. Uh, they, they need something to... Uh, it's a human nature where you just need something to point you in the right direction, whether that's subconscious or... Yeah, you know, like God or whatever, and I kind of, for lack of a better term, started religion shopping. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, I remember being on a LHD in the middle of the Pacific, uh, on on the way somewhere with my unit, uh, and I was just like. You know, I'm going to try to take up this meditation thing for no other purpose than just to be here, be now, and not focus on anything else. And that seemed to be the right answer for me. But, um, yeah, like, for, for, for me, that that changed my entire perspective on how I view the world. 
Okay. And uh, I started attending a Buddhist church after that, and I, uh, well, a Buddhist temple, and um, the community of people was just absolutely amazing. Um, not to say that there's not amazing groups of Christians or LDS people or whatever have you out there, but it was just the right fit for me. Um, and I, I wouldn't say like I'm a hardline Buddhist. Uh, I did get brought into the Buddhist church. I have a Buddhist name, but like you believe in the philosophy, a lot of the teachings rather than being a associated with an organized system. Correct. Correct. Like I, I am not a guy that's in temple every week. Right. Um, yeah. Which kind of upsets me because there's a lot of good things to learn from temple. But, uh, at the same time, I feel like I'd be falling into the same trap that I did with my organized, with my born again, sure. Organized Christianity. So, uh, I, I really feel like uh, that this kind of stuff, like your consciousness, like Caden was saying, is is God. Um, and for for what I from what I can perceive personally, uh, that uh, for for me that's Buddhism. That's what guides my consciousness. That's what guides my. Uh, my ideals uh right as of right now you know yeah that's i guess consciousness i view god as just like we're experiencing we're leeching the experience from this to send energy like send the the accumulative experience because i believe energy goes i don't know where it goes but energy is measurable it goes somewhere yeah yeah Um, it's not created or destroyed it's like just transferred so the idea of reincarnation not in the sense that you come back as like a lion or necessarily whatever but the reincarnation of energy into an all one be like if if consciousness truly is the same and you take what they teach in in the lds church is the only thing you can take with you is knowledge okay so interesting for that that correlates to me as what we experience here gets poured into a bucket my my consciousness your consciousness everyone's consciousness gets poured into a bucket and i think that bucket is what makes up God. And I think the problem that we're facing here as humanity is we're trying to replicate that. We're trying to be God. We're, we're actually at that point where we've harvested all of the information of how people think into the Google cloud, into the Facebook cloud. AI. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's progressed to this point where – and I think that's, that's going to be the end game, whatever, like what the Bible refers to, like the second coming or whatever, right. is the choice of leaving behind humanity to join technology. That's what okay. I, I that's what I think is going to end up happening. Have you ever watched uh, Future Man on Hulu? I have not. The second season's about that. Oh, is it really? Yeah, it's uh So the first season is about like stopping this guy that creates a super cure that makes like um some humans vulnerable to disease and others not and uh they're kind of at odds with each other, but the second season is about a guy that creates an alternate reality. Okay. And that's the way he's going to save reality. Or humanity, I should say, not reality. Sorry. Yeah. I. Uh, it's an excellent show. Really funny. Is it? Really funny, yeah. 
Yeah, I don't know. All I know is that it's pretty hectic, whatever's going on right now. And it's definitely escalating, but as to what it's leading to, I have no idea. So I just kind of roll with it, man. Yeah, that's all you can do. Absolutely. Um, Focus on your slice of the pie, so to speak. Right, yeah, absolutely. It's a really small slice, though. (laughs) Very, very small slice, yeah, but... Yeah, what? it's it's a weird thing for sure. Yeah, that you should definitely look in the Chinese surveillance state more. It's an it's really crazy. well. What what's the name of that company that's uh, starting up the five G network? It's out of China. I can't remember Huawei? what. It, Huawei. Yeah, yeah, Huawei. So the here's the funny thing, and this is where I this is where my conspiracy nut kind of comes into play. Is where I say. Uh, Doppel's extracting all this information is we're starting to slowly see these companies combine. Doppel or DARPA? Uh, DARPA. I'm sorry, not Doppel. That's a <laughs> licensing firm. Uh, <laughs> DARPA. I think they're slowly combining these companies. So you see Tesla, who has this network of smart cars, who has this grid. Right. All of a sudden, they partner with Google. So Google has all this data now. Right. Google buys Spotify, which is the most popular music streaming service that's more data that they can extract into the system and then they also have their own music streaming service right and audible so apple apple claims that they're all about privacy yet they are using huawei chips for 5g so every bit of information coming in and out of our phone is a chinese government company if you use apple yes absolutely but there it's not painted that way to the public it's combined we're combining it all and it's very slowly and it's very gradual Facebook buys Instagram, Snapchat will be uh, bought by somebody, and it's slowly the process of combining them all together to create the surveillance state for the United States. It's funny. On the way over here, I was listening to NPR, and uh, they were talking about a story. Um, it's supposed to be played at 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time tonight, 6 or 6.30 Okay. Uh, on KUER's uh, streaming. But it's about a guy that's standing up to Mark Zuckerberg. Really? He's like, he's too powerful right now. And uh, one thing, I don't know if we discussed this at all, but just recently that happened, uh, Alex Jones, right, Milo, right, getting, whatever. getting uh, censored. Not not only that, but they're, they're completely banned. But if you were to go on there and reference his name or his any of his information in a positive light, you will actually get banned from Facebook now. Really? Yes. Wow. So we've gotten to a point now where you cannot believe something, post it publicly, have your own opinion without repercussions of uh, not the government, a a form of government. I mean, you can look at Silicon Valley as grown. I mean, you have a screen in front of everybody. You can have more impact than the government does. Absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah, I mean like that, the Alex Jones stuff, uh, this guy standing up to Facebook saying Mark Zuckerberg has too much power. Yeah. He was uh, called out in front of Congress, Zuckerberg, from Monopolis, for being a monopolist. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of hard to do because it's, it's a new territory. Yeah. Right? Like, um, kind of back when uh, the Rockefellers and Carnegie with oil, you know, it yeah. was like, Oh, we're gonna own the wells, and we're gonna own the shipping, and we're gonna own the refinement. And right. uh, Mark Zuckerberg is kind of in that zone with 
with Facebook and information technology and, um, you know, it, it's something that I think took place organically. Uh, I don't think it really happened, um, purposefully. Uh, he was just trying to create a social networking website for people in college and then it morphed into what it is today. And then Instagram saw that and was like, well, I'm going to run with this, but in a slightly different direction. And then, he, you know, he already had his billions or millions or whatever and uh, bought it up. And so now he's like monopolizing the uh, uh, social networking sites because he's just buying all of them. I wouldn't be surprised unless that Congress thing got to him that if he winds up buying Snapchat off of the creator of that, you know, and um, what what else is there out there? There's like TikTok and a couple of other things that people are contributing to, even though it's like programmed as a light fun, especially with Snapchat with all the filters and stuff, but... Yeah. It's painted as this fun, like it, it's painted as fun, and that's the thing. And when you realize that the top corporations are owned by four or five different people, it's not very hard for the military or an intelligence firm to be involved with those companies. And if you look back to uh, when the CIA was summoned in front of Congress in the 1980s, they were asked if there were any CIA involvement with our radio stations, TV broadcasting, and they said, yes, we do have people within those industries to make sure that the proper media is put out to the public. So when you look at, uh, there's an NBC anchor that is actually an ex-FBI informant that really? was brought on as a uh, reporter. So when you look at how... Who is it? I'll have to get, I'll have to, I'll bring it up in the next podcast because I'm not sourced on that right now. Okay. Um, but there is a gentleman from NBC who used to be CIA who was hired on as a um, analyst, not an analyst, like a consultant or something like okay. that. Um, but the problem is, you know, I have zero trust for all media. <laughs> um, actually, I don't know. I think Fox is own, used to be owned by Disney. And now it just yes. got, it got bought by Ice-T. The rapper. The rapper. Nice. Yeah. yeah but it's funny <laughs> because there are certain parts that I, there are certain parts on Fox that I see that I agree with. And there are certain things on the other side that I agree with, but it's never the full picture. Um, I agree. Like for example, a, a lot of things on Fox, I agree financially. I'll, I'll agree with Fox business, that sort of thing. But when it comes down to social issues, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez proposed this thing with Bernie Sanders to drop all interest level cap the interest level a bank can charge you at 15%. And I am all for that. And Fox just but, jumped on him. Yeah, because, well, I mean, you have personal experience with that. Yeah. To a degree. And um, I know a lot of people in uh, the military when I was in, these Lance Corporals, uh, PFCs, stuff like that, they'd get sent to their new duty station. They need a way to get around. Um they hate being in the barracks, and the, they'd go out and they'd buy a car at 17%, 20% interest, 23% interest even. Yeah. And uh, 
it it is extremely predatory because on on paper you can afford the payments. Yeah. But that means you're locked inside your barracks room. Right. Every day. Yeah. Until that car is paid off, which could be upward of eight years. Yeah. And it's 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 interesting because w- there just needs to be a way of. Okay, I'll, I'll say something. This will be controversial. People won't like to hear this, but this is 100% fact. Fuck them. Okay, this is 100% fact. You can look it up yourself. Barack Obama, I believe, was a decent person before he got into office. I agree. I believe that his heart was in the right place and he wanted to do a lot of things, but I think the quote-unquote swamp uh, got to him. Got to him. So when he got into office, and you can Google this, you can Bing this, whatever the fuck you want to do. Barack Obama's entire cabinet was given to him by a group called, you may have heard of him, it's called Citibank. And his whole cabinet Hmm. was proposed by Citibank. And they said, we want all of these people in. And that happened. Oh, well, if you, I mean, if you just go back and watch the uh, documentary Escape Fire about the healthcare reform. Yeah. uh, What was it, like 60% or more of that table was... Uh, around the table for that meeting was insurance companies, health insurance companies. And uh, like they, they were the ones there talking about it. It it wasn't actual doctors or people that are on the front lines of medicine. It was these people that are in it for profit. Right. And uh, I, I think that Obama did some good things uh, while he was in office, but I, I do think that do think every was... single president that we've had uh, after the American Revolution uh, has been in the pocket of some lobby lobbyist. It's, honestly, if you think about it, it's a dumb job. The president of the United States in the sense that you have to take the advice of your advisors. Right. And if you have advisors with alternative goals, then you're going to... Uh, you know, you're going to run into problems. I don't inherently believe the entire United States government is corrupt, but I believe that there are certain entities within the government that is corrupt. Well, and that goes back to what I was saying. I think it was last week. I can't remember. It was on a previous cast, though. Yeah. Uh, that I feel like the president should be a lottery. Yeah. It, it literally should be a random selection of people with a certain amount of educational points. Yeah. That is like, you it, know, it definitely this person's shouldn't. smart enough to know kind of what's going on, but like they don't have a full idea of what's going on. And and then like the same with the cabinet. Right. I, I feel like the country should be run from a randomized pool of like jury duty. relatively educated people and uh you know you elect your congress members to push forward agendas that you want to see done in your region but i feel like the president and the cabinet for the president should all be just a randomized deal like jury duty yes um yeah i don't for me what do you think about this whole situation i'm very curious to see your perception on this whole thing with Trump and the Mueller report and the bar being held in contempt. Uh, 
at what point because my perspective is whether you like i disagree a lot of things with trump but i always thought the russian thing was bullshit i really did think the russian thing was bullshit so with me uh it's no big secret i'm i'm not a fan of trump right at all i i do not like the man um as a president or as a human being, mm-hmm. I think he's abhorrent. Uh, but the the bar, uh, AG bar, being yeah. held in contempt of Congress, I think is absolutely wonderful. And the reason behind that is that was the way our government was originally designed to run, is checks and balances, right? Yeah. And... You see this like swinging back and forth. It's about every like eight to thirteen years or so, right? Of uh, you, you get this, uh, you get this hyper conservative president, and then Congress is conservative for a few a few years, and then people are like, "Oh, I'm upset with this," and they elect a bunch of liberal people, right, to come in. And zigzag. It, yeah, and it and the pendulum swings back in the other direction with Congress, and then uh, the next presidential election, you'll see a guy get elected that's super liberal, and it, it just moves back and forth across this line. But the um, thing with Attorney General Barr being held in contempt of Congress. I know is more of a, like a political move, yeah. uh, as far as like conservatives versus liberals. Uh, I still approve of it because that is how it's supposed to be. Right. That like, like that is what the checks and balances are for. Yes. Is to make sure that the judicial branch isn't stepping out of line from the legislative or the right. executive branch, or you know, like we always jump back and and the funny thing is it's always. In the moment, for example, right. James Comey, right? Democrats hated him for right, a but, long time and wanted him fired until Trump fired him. And now, like, he's a saint. He's a saint, man. Same with Mueller. He was going to be the saint that buried Trump in the ground. And then once he came out and said that, well, his credibility needs to be questioned. Right, right. It's like, oh, he he's going to bury this guy. And it's like, well, he comes out and says... It's like a WWE I, I, there's, there's no, like, there's evidence, but there's no hard evidence. And, you know, like, he's kind of waffling. And, uh, you know, I give a lot of credit to Mueller for that because he, he's... He had beef with Trump, and he still came out and said... He was objective. Yes. He was absolutely objective. He would have been a good FBI director. He really would have. I, I, I think so, too. Because... Uh, he he was one hundred percent objective with that. Like yeah. he did not like Trump, but he came out and was like, you know, there's no hard evidence of collusion. There's some evidence that some stuff that He's, shouldn't have happened yeah. happened, but like it's not, you know, like one hundred percent objective. And that's that's what you want, but you can't ever get that, no matter at what level, local or federal. I'm just so sick of the media not focusing on. Some of the better things – I'll, I'll give you an example. Have you heard about the infrastructure bill that was passed? Yes. Okay. So for a lot of people who probably don't know about that because there wasn't a ton of coverage on it, 
there was a bill proposed. Um, Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer both went and talked to the president and had a productive meeting that was not political. They didn't talk about the wall or any of this bullshit. But what they did agree on is that our country could use $2 trillion to rebuild our infrastructure, our bridges, uh, hospitals, airports at a foundational level. And that's something that's a bipartisan like. Yeah, that's something that most people can get behind. And Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi were both like super happy about it. And Trump said he would be more than willing to find the funding for it. And I feel like once we stop focusing on because that's the way the country should be ran. Yes, and that's part of the reason China is so successful is because their propaganda is unity. It's, right. It's unity. Right. So then you have to ask ourselves, is it Chinese being propagated or are we being propagated to be decisive? Because even though they're being surveyed, they're happier. They're, they're genuinely happier people because they're unified in a sense that they believe that they're part of a bigger – Yeah, Uh I, I, I don't know about that, but, I mean, personal freedom means a lot to me, you me know. Me too. Uh, it's something that I would be literally willing to die for, and I have done as much by offering my six years of my life to the military yeah. and going on deployment to a foreign country, but... I think people really just need to st- – when it comes to politics, your personal – and it's really hard not to do this, but your personal feelings cannot get in the way. Yeah. You need to step back. You need to be p- objective. You need to look at what's best for the country, like this uh, infrastructure thing. Right. You know, like excellent. You know, where that would get tied up at is if the Republicans introduced an infrastructure bill that included the building of the wall on the southern border. Correct, yes. It's it's when politi- when other political things are invoked. There was something Obama pa- – I don't know if you knew about this or not, but there was something Obama passed in 20, late 2017. It was the net neutrality thing. Yes, I um, remember that. There was a hidden piece of the line that enabled the United States government to create propaganda again which was banned in the 1960s. Hmm. But there was a clause within that bill, and I'm sure it wasn't Obama who wanted it. It was probably somebody who had deep influence. Right, right. And here's the thing. Some multi-billionaire somewhere. I believe that the president, for the most part, I think Trump may be one exception, but I think the president is strategically put there because they have a lot of shit on that person, and they know that that person would be a good face. But in the end, there's people running the strings. Yeah. And uh, there's a lot of – It's a marionette act. There's a a lot of evidence that Barack Obama's real name is Barry Obama and that he is a homosexual from Chicago. There's a lot of evidence of that. Where is this evidence at? Okay, here's the thing. If you go on Stephen Colbert and watch an interview with his wife, he'll start reading stuff and he'll say, Barry Obama. And then they'll laugh and they'll have like this little moment. But – if you look into his past, where he came from versus what was given to us for knowledge, I and I, I believe that that was all hidden just in case he stepped out of line so they had something to put on him. Okay. Well, homosexual or not. That's fine. And I, that's fine, right? Yeah. Yeah. But 
all I'm saying is that I believe that his presidency was a lot different than what we perceive it to be as every president because I think and I my true belief is that ever since JFK was assassinated we've been going through this zigzag like you've said yeah absolutely and guess what it's planned I think this is all I think the zigzag is planned I think Clinton and Trump were good friends I think he's been good friends with politicians and all of a sudden he comes out I mean all these interviews he had with Oprah how they're like would you ever run for president I think that was priming the public to accept him as running for president. It was already planned. Yeah. I think that he was the guy that they would plan. They they set up their agenda. They execute their agenda. Then they get Trump in there so everyone pays attention to politics. Okay. And that's when that's when we realize that we've been hoodwinked the whole time. It's moving towards this zigzag, but in the end, they're drawing a straight line to where they want. Right. We're talking about the wall. We're talking about all of this different shit, but we're not talking about Israel and Palestine. Okay. Yeah. Like we forget the Republicans relationships with Israel. Okay. And I think a lot of it is. How do you feel about Saudi Arabia right now? I honestly believe that I I don't know the entirety of the Saudi Arabia, um, but with. Israel, I believe right now Israel is probably one of the most powerful states in the world. Yeah. And I believe that we're the strong arm for Israel. I think we're getting on our okay. hands and knees. Really? Just because of money. What? Where do you think their money's coming from? Oil. Oil? I mean, Saudi Arabia in general. Where is Saudi Arabia? Isn't that – it's kind of like a Washington, D.C. type state, right? It's like it's its own thing, but it's part of a country. No, no, Saudi Arabia is a I'm full thinking, country. Okay, no, I'm thinking of Dubai, sorry. I don't know yeah, why. Dubai is its own thing. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So- it's, it's rich oil people, and I think that they have harvested most of the world's wealth. And and I think a, part, a big part of the reason we keep going to war as well is to accommodate us Americans wanting cheap gas because we've – Of course. We've got yeah. – Everyone says they're not for war, right? But everyone right. wants to pay two dollars a gallon for gas. And I think this whole, <laughs> I think this whole push towards electricity isn't so much about climate change or global warming. It's more so that we don't have to go to war with countries anymore to satisfy us dumbass Americans in a bubble. Okay, that's my belief. I think that's the only reason we get involved in these conflicts is to satisfy what Americans want, and that's cheap gas because we're so used to it. We're, it's baked into our culture to drive cars everywhere, big muscle cars, um, and in order to sustain that that dreamlike state, gas doesn't get down to cheap levels for free, right? We gotta cut some heads off and shit. Well, like, recently we just uh, like, for lack of a better term, I don't know if this is actually the correct term, but we put an embargo. Against Iranian oil. Like sanctions? Yeah, sanctions. Okay. And uh, I have noticed prices yes, yeah. at the pump change. What was the what was the sanction for? What what do we um we're it's us trying to flex our nuts over the nuclear stuff. But the, yeah, I get and that's the thing like with Trump that I see it a uh, I guess a 
macro level versus a micro level, but the micro level affects so many people and the sanctions do happen. Right. right. I see the san- I see what they're for. I see it's a strategic move to pressure them to do something. I get that. It affects people. It does. Um, so like what what is the sanction? What are we hoping to achieve from that? Just cheaper uh we're not uh, ho- uh, hoping to achieve cheaper oil or anything uh from my understanding the hope is to uh denuclearize iran or yeah. uh whatever without having the nuclear deal in place it's to put financial pressure on them so it's to pull out the nuclear weapons that we had no, so we we pulled back from the nuclear deal. Which, how do you feel about that? I, I, all I knew is that we were exporting nuclear weapons and cash in large amounts to Iran. Uh, which could be a city bank move. If Well, so I, I don't know exactly how to feel about that because the ecological part of me, the part that loves the environment uh, – Nuclear energy is, I mean, it's not quite sustainable, but it's better than what we have. And the idea was, like, the nuclear deal was supposed to, uh, like, support and propagate nuclear energy in Iran and the Middle East. Yeah. uh, Without having weapons grade uh, depleted uranium or anything like that. Okay. Uh, And... Trump said it was a bad deal, and he pulled out of it. Uh, so, like, for me, I feel like nuclear energy should be a, a thing that we definitely, at at the very least, explore. Yeah. Um, that's one thing with Andrew Yang, that Democratic candidate. He's the only Democrat that's in favor of nuclear power. Really? Yeah. Um, um, he's actually being supported on CNN, MSNBC, and Fox. They're actually all very uh, – they don't – Pro Yang, they like him because he his message is very for the people. It's very that's uh, good. He's an entrepreneur. He uh, he's not a politician. He became a lawyer. He has a law degree, but he said this is not for me. Very much like Ben Shapiro, okay. and he he actually sat down with Shapiro for two hours, and they disagreed on a lot of things, but they never yelled at each other. They always took turns. It was articulate, and I think that's what the country wants. Yeah, if I, there's anyone I agree. that can take down Trump, it's him. It's not Biden. Biden is. Oh, no, no. He's skewed. Like, all these poll numbers coming out right now, Biden versus Sanders are so skewed. I think. I, if I any, haven't paid attention to any of that. They're to be saying honest. he has 40% polling and Sanders has like 15%. Yeah. And I look at. He, a couple of days ago on the stage, Joe Biden said, I respect Dick Cheney as a man. I think he's a good man. I think he's done a lot of good things for this country. Really? Oh, yeah. Right in front of everybody. Because. Uh, so part of the reason why I'm not well informed on this right now is just because I'm focusing on my education. Cool. Yeah. Um, but, you know, like, uh, I do think nuclear energy should be something that we should definitely investigate yes. and lean into. Um, and the Iran- Iranian thing uh, – Our current sanctions and embargoes and stuff are to to just weaken that city state. Yeah. Uh, 
It's bullying. It, it, in it a re- way. In a it, way, it, it is. It, it, it is. And, um, you know, there we weren't just the only ones that signed the agreement with Iran. The right. U.K., France, like a bunch of NATO countries signed the agreement with them. Right. So this is a way to try to get them uh, to come back to our our camp. Yeah. Even though they, like, may not want to. Right. And uh, it's just a way to weaken Iran financially. And it has removed a sizable portion of oil production from the global market. Right. Especially for the United States. And Saudi Arabia is like, yeah, we'll pick up the tab. But they're picking up the tab at a cost to the American, average American citizen, in which, like, you see the 40 to 50 cent gas pr- price raise yes. at the pump over the last couple weeks. Right. Yeah. It's, uh, it's weird. That, uh, that NPR, or not NPR, I'm sorry, that, uh, New York Times thing. Mm-hmm. basically alluded to there's a lot less world problems than we think it's made to look like we're always in conflict but the world leaders are working tightly together to roll out 5g surveillance all of these things to make our lives appear to be better however it's a very controlled system where you can't do anything without anyone knowing so it right it 100 percent eliminates crime at the cost of freedom right um and sadly you know freedom is something there there's in any free society, there's going to be downsides. There's right. going to be probably more crime. Of um, course. And that's kind of why our police force has, is the way it is. It's is militarized. Yeah. There's not a, really another place like this in the world, no matter what people argue. Uh, like, I'm fucking grateful I was born in this country, dude. Even though we're like a world bully and we're, <laughs> we're, we make a lot of bad decisions, we're an untouchable state. And, and it's it's kind of incredible. We've only been on this, this planet for 250 years as a country. Right. Yet we have so much influence. Correct. Um, I mean, I'm grateful to have been born here. Uh, I personally, uh, don't know if we're, like we are a bully, but I don't know if it's like the best system or not. I think there's a lot of improvements that could be made. I agree. But yeah, the, like Benjamin Franklin said, I think it was Benjamin Franklin anyway. I don't want to misquote anybody, but uh, the person that's willing to sacrifice uh, liberty for security deserves neither. Yeah. And uh, I I do agree with that 100. Yeah, percent So the thing I thing I like about Yang. Is uh so he's proposed a uh kind of like a basic income where you're you're given a check by the government. What is, uh I can't remember the term for it. Basic something income. Is it like how so- Saudi Arabia has? It's basically they pay out every citizen every every month. So his for idea, how much? A thousand dollars. Hmm. So his idea is that Amazon is industrializing; they're becoming robotic. So what we do is we do a value-added tax on companies that are automating. So we, okay, because Amazon's skipping out on taxes, right? He's like, we can we can tax the wealth, but they can get out of that. But if we do a value-added tax, and we say, hey, basically every single American becomes a stockholder 
Okay. Of Amazon, of Google, of Facebook. And you get money from that. You every get a thousand dollars every month, and that is a privilege of being an American citizen, and that is the evolution of capitalism. He that, says that's kind of how Saudi Arabia does that. Uh, they do that with their oil. Mm-hmm. Right now, Alaska does that right now. If you live in Alaska right now, they will su- they will give you twelve hundred dollars a month, um, just to live, just to live there. Yeah. Um, and a big reason is because they look at it and they say, well. We can take all this money we're making from oil and put it in the government, or we can give it directly back to the people. They're going to spend it and put it back into the economy. It's a trickle-up economy at that point. Yeah. Uh, and that's what he wants Which to Which I think towards. works a lot better. And he said there's all these social programs. We have like 100-plus social programs. You'll have the option of opting for the social programs or the freedom dividend. That's what he ended up calling it. Instead of basic income, like a socialist program, he's like – the freedom dividend. Yeah, he's like, he's like <laughs> the freedom dividend pulled better with Republicans, so we went with that. And he blatantly said that on Fox or whatever. Um, yeah, I mean, like, I, I could see the value on that for sure. And, uh, and he's saying by giving a thousand dollars extra a month, it would kind of take down the barriers of saying, well, hey, I can actually move to a new city because I have a little bit of net. Yeah, like I'm gonna get this either way. Yeah, it creates a kind of a net. Rather right. than living in poverty and having to worry about crashing. Yeah, and it, it can it, it can um, stop some of those crime cycles that you see in lower income neighborhoods for sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, like that that would be excellent, I think, but it's but, it's yeah. going to be really hard to implement. the The idea behind it is that. One so Amazon paid zero, absolutely zero dollars in taxes, and a lot of the times they'll get tax rebates. So they'll say, "Okay, you broke zero, you don't have to pay any taxes, and next tax season we'll give you a hundred and twenty million dollar tax break as well," because it was like, you you use the system so much that you get credit for next year. Wow. Yeah. So if we can find a way to tap into, because I mean, you have these companies. Apple. Yeah. If you can uh, tap into that, then that's so extraordinary. Companies are supposed to make tw- pay 20%, right? Right. Apple paid 0%. Okay. They're, tw- they're, they're the first trillion dollar company. Apple. Yes. Okay. Um, the second trillion dollar company was Microsoft. Okay. If you take 20% of $2 trillion, what is that? 200 billion something like that yeah i don't know i'm a little buzz so i don't can't do <laughs> yeah right me now. too um <laughs> that's why it's called cheap shot discussions right but those are <laughs> those are only two companies but if we can harvest the wealth we've estimated that it costs about it'll cost about a trillion 1.2 trillion dollars to do this thing to do this yes but this does not take into account he wants to wean people off of social programs and diminish them altogether like uh, like the welfare programs. Yes. Okay. So because he, he what about Medicare, Medicaid, also gone. Okay. He, but you have the choice. So you have the freedom dividend of a thousand dollars, and you have your benefits. And whatever is higher, you can opt for either one. But the idea is over twenty years to incentivize the freedom dividend, so that people will want to get off the social programs, and then slowly move people off. We'll have more money as a surplus to put into the the freedom dividend. Maybe even grow it, like okay. Just, just as being an American and being a citizen, the benefit is they pay you every month. Okay, and has he adjusted this for uh, population growth? You know, honestly, I bet you he. If you go listen to his interviews, you can listen to two, three hour interviews. Sit down. They un. They don't cut him. He has a rebuttal for almost everything. He's okay. He's so articulate. He's so moderate. 
Okay. That even as a Democrat and I mean, like I, I I'm not questioning questioning his uh, political affiliation. I just want to know if it's adjusted for population growth. Yeah, that's a good question. That really is a good question, and um, I I honestly am not sure. I but it, it you would hope a, with somebody of that level of education, it would be. Yeah, I mean, he's taken into account the displacement of millions of workers over the next ten years due to automation, which is, okay. he's, he's the only guy talking about it. He's okay. like, what are we going to do when okay. these robots take over? Are we just going to have people everywhere doing nothing? He's like, we okay. got to start focusing on the future and where we're That's heading. That's true. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. And he's like, we're just full of a bunch of Congress members who don't know what's going on. They're very Well, detached. if you look at Mike Lee, his, uh, his solution to uh, all of this is have more babies. So, you know, that that tells you where Utah's stance is at right now. Yeah. I'm in Utah. I don't agree with him. I think he's a dumbass. But, I mean, like, this man literally pulled out a picture of Ronald Reagan riding a velociraptor, shooting a machine gun in Congress, and used it as part of his argument. Oh, so, that was that guy? Yeah. Okay, I did see that. <laughs> I did see that. Yeah, he's one of our state representatives. He has so. a podcast, too, actually. I well, think. he's a fucking moron. Yeah. <laughs> Most of the state representatives are, actually. Yeah, because they're run by the LDS church. They absolutely are. Um, because, one, if Herbert is a member of the church, if he's a member, that means he's taking... He views the prophet of the LDS church as above him, probably. Probably, yeah. So, for sure. If, especially if, like, we're not talking Jack Mormons here. We're talking about, like, hardcore, like, Mormon ride till I die. Right. So. Well, and a lot of this, um, like, conservative-based legislation is just, is just, it's not beneficial to the rest of the population in any way. And even though we live in a state that is predominantly LDS or XLDS, the fact that a government body that represents the entirety of the people, not 40%, not 60%, the entirety of Utah people, okay? It doesn't matter if they're LDS or not. If you're not representing the non-LDS people of the state, you're failing as a governor. You're failing as the president of a state, okay? Your responsibility as governor of Utah is to represent the entirety of Utah. And the entirety of Utah doesn't agree with one principal philosophy. And that philosophy stems from the LDS church. So, I mean, there's a, there's a whole skew of problems with that. Um, one, I mean, one of the biggest things is the LDS church harbors a shit ton of the Utah economy's money, okay? They're getting siphoned 10% of all these motherfuckers' money. They don't have to pay any taxes on it, and True. then they reinvest it in the fucking stock market and make profit off of it to build their fucking empire. True. And when you're investing, when you have the LDS church, when it comes out on WikiLeaks or Mormon Leaks or whatever the fuck, that tie, <laughs> that tie, I'm serious, it's called like Mormon Leaks. Uh, when you see that all this tithing money has been put into stocks like NVIDIA, Intel, AMD, Apple, Amazon. NVIDIA, really? Yeah. All these mainstream, worldly, as they would call them, companies, 
they're investing tithing money, God's money, right, back into a quote unquote worldly. Uh, well, it's just to build profit for it's, the. It's to build profit and to, to build control. profit for the profit. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. It, it's it's such a blatant like, and I feel for the bottom LDS people that really believe the it. The working class people. The really good people, like the. I'll give them this. The Mormons do teach a very foundational, good, moral, community-based family value system, which I totally agree with. Right. But at the same time, um, it's it's a system that is trying to constantly suck more people into the system to pay more money to the top. Yeah. And if you if you deny that, it's called proselytization. Yeah, you're just ignorant if you don't believe that. If you believe, if you honestly believe that they're taking all of this money. This is my argument to my parents, right? They always got mad at me because I didn't pay 10%. If I take 10% of my money and I go give it to charity or right. different things where I know how that money is going to be attributed or, or you know, split up, I'm going to feel so much better at it than just blindly giving it to an organized religion yeah, to for hope sure. that they do something good about it. Absolutely. I, I, had, a, I had a good friend of mine uh, – I'm actually going to be the best man at his wedding come August, yeah. and his his name's Steve. But I, I was talking to him, and uh, this guy I I don't know if he does it anymore. I don't think he does, but he used to be a runner. Um, he would run long distances like marathons and stuff. Yeah, and I w- would always ask him, you know, like why don't you do charity marathons? He's like, well, why can't I just donate money to charity and run a mar- marathon anyway? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I really uh, view like, yeah. And uh, I, I mean, like when he said that to me, I was like, you know what? That's, that's 100% correct. I can't argue with that logic at yeah. all. You and know? Here's the funny thing with the LDS. I don't know if you know how this works or not, but, um, Every, I think it's every quarter you're called into the bishop's office, which is like the head of a ward, which is like right. what you see at the, the, you go in there and you have to declare if you're a part-time or full-time uh, tithe payer. So what does that mean? That means as an individual, I say, Dallas, did you pay your tithing 10% of everything you made? Why is that any of your business? They kind of want to see if you're honest with it. They kind of okay. want to see that direction. Um, but if you're not a full tithe payer, that can affect your temple membership. So basically, they're saying if you don't pay this membership, you can't be connected to God. Joke's on them. I'm already part of the temple. Right. Buddhist and, temple, but well, I'm still part of the temple. Here's the funny thing. Even as like, I guess I am I would consider myself like a born-again Christian that doesn't believe in necessarily <laughs> the physical realm of it. Just I think you, what you're looking for is agnostic. I'm not agnostic. I... I definitely believe there is something but i believe that the christian view is a child's picture as to how it actually is um where was i going with that shit this is the benefit of being uh slightly buzzed or completely intoxicated folks uh fuck what was i talking about before that before before i went into religion i can't remember shit uh that's okay though we're just going to roll on through. Uh, again, Cheap Shot Discussions is part of uh, why it's called Cheap Shot Discussions is because we generally drink unless we're on a sabbatical from drinking during this podcast. Yeah. 
and uh you know we'll get i want to get this more structured i want to get like an intro little theme and like talking points and now i think we can do that now shout out to my roommate and friend chris for donating this computer to the cause yeah like, for sure now we're gonna for sure be able to do a lot more as far as um uh, guests and guests higher end production like just being able to get the workflow done a little bit better right right and really it can just build upon from that but yeah so my brother's supposed to be swinging by here in about a uh, three weeks to a month and uh oh, we're, yeah, we can get another mic and arm by then yeah and uh this this guy uh you know e7 in the navy yeah he in my personal opinion he's kind of an asshole uh but he already knows that and uh i i lean on him for a lot of advice because he is an asshole he will he doesn't sugarcoat anything he tells you exactly how it is um but we're we're going to try to bring him in and talk to him about his uh 11 year experience in the military and uh try to uh get his input on uh current political situations and uh geopolitic situations he is um like Caden said he's an E7 he's a chief uh FMF corpsman like I was uh really excited to have him on this show and talk to him about uh just what what's going on and what what he thinks is going on with the current military environment and how much is he free to talk about that do you think, do you think I have no idea because I, I know I would imagine that somebody in the system is probably a little reserved just because they don't know. Well, um, from personal experience, again, I'm going back a couple years here um, and only having six years of experience. But somebody when I was in the system, like you're just told, you know, like you don't question the president in, you know, on any media platform. You don't question like Congress. You don't question the powers that be right they're your boss exactly exactly and um the the ramifications for speaking out against such people are very very high in the military like you uh uh you can again be restricted to base you can have extra duty you can have your rank pulled from you court-martialed uh not so much. It's not necessarily a court martial offense, but they have something called a uh, non-judicial punishment (NJP). We call them ninja punches. Yeah, um, NJPs. Those are like your your write-ups, right? Kind of. It's where you agree to take a punishment for a lesser charge. Um, you can push. Yeah, so you can push an NJP to court martial if you feel like you're in the right. But a lot of people just take the NJP and take the reduction in rank, right? And uh, and live with that. Yeah. Um. So it's funny. Speaking on NJPs, real quick, the people that I've talked to in the military say it's not hard to go far in the military if you're not a dumbass. In the sense, absolutely. If you don't get an NJP, you'll probably go very far. Uh, absolutely, I I would one hundred percent agree with that. I would. I mean. I was in for only six years, and uh, we're we're reaching back four years for this experience. But yeah, um, I advanced very quickly, uh, and 
it's simply because I wasn't a fucking idiot. Like you're doing what you're told. Like yeah, you show up to work on time. You do what you're told. You take like, a bit of initiative. Yeah. Um. You the just like any other job, there's other things like collateral duties and whatnot that they want you to participate in to like show that you're dedicated. But you know, like as long as you show up to work on time, study for your advancement exams. Get all your pros and cons in order or whatever the branches that you're part of that like what as long as you just do what they want to see, it's really, really easy to advance. It's an easy game to play. That's what that's what uh, my recruiter at the time told me. He's like, you know what? If you want to make a career out of this, you want to go far, stay out of trouble. Yeah. Um, and just yeah. just try to push yourself to do things that you wouldn't. You know, just just try to build some sort of rapport without being a dumbass. Exactly, exactly. And as long as you do that and you do your job, you're going to go a long way, because not a lot of like not a lot of people do that in the military. They join because they're like lost in life, or they're there's not a lot of people that that are like, I know what I want to do in life, and I'm going to join the military because this, this, this. Right. With a lot of people that go like, I don't know what I want to do, so I'm going to join and kind of. Well, and that that was kind of me. Um, part of it was, uh, and I'll tell him when he's on here if he comes on, but my brother was giving me Herculean amounts of shit <laughs> for not signing up for the military. And um, <coughs> This is right after 9-11? Uh, no, not right after. It was about eight years, nine years after. Okay, so it's a while. Uh, but he, he was giving me tons of shit. We were only like He's my twin brother. Uh, he was talking to me about joining and, uh, you know, Chief Hawk has this, Chief Hawk has that. Uh, we were about 13 or 14 when 9-11 happened. Uh, and, you know, fast forward about six years, seven years, whatever, eight I can't even fucking remember. I'm too drunk to recall. <laughs> uh, but he he tries to join the Coast Guard. My brother is covered in tats yeah. from his fucking jawline down to his toes. Coast Guard's like, sorry, bud, we can't accept you. And he's like, okay, fuck you. And he moves on to the next place, which was the Navy. It was literally right next door. Yeah. Uh, and I think that was his plan, just move down the line. Um, anyway, he joins and he starts giving me shit and telling me like, I can't do what he's doing. Yeah. Uh, being a 20 year old dumbass, uh, so to speak and inexperienced, inexperienced, uh, don't really know where I stand in life. I'm like, well, fuck. a little bit probably. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I go, fuck you. I can, I can do exactly what you're doing. And so Sign I, me up six man. years, baby. Yeah. So I, <laughs> not, so I walk into the recruiter's office. I sign up to be a corpsman, just like my brother. I sign up for a year long, con- year, uh, a year contract longer yeah. than my brother. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I walk out of that motherfucker going, you're cool. You're cool. Fuck, Fuck you. you. <laughs> you're cool. I'm out. I take off to basic training, have no idea what I got my fucking self in for, and um, 
Yeah, so, like, a, a large part of why I joined the military was my brother being a dick to me, um, which is not the right reason to join the military, folks. Yeah. Uh, it did teach me a lot. It gave me a lot of experience, but... Especially uh, being stationed with Marines the whole time. I think that's a huge, like... Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it, it's a game changer, you know? Like, I went through my A school. I got sent to my first command. Uh, which was Naval Medical Center, San Diego, uh, Balboa Hospital. Yeah. And uh, a friend of mine went IA with the Marines. He was an FMF corpsman, but he was just at the hospital at the time. He got killed in combat, and it was like, well, I, 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 I felt like I couldn't sit on the sidelines anymore. And even though you join the military, you're not necessarily up front, you know, like, uh, like. I said my first duty station was a was a hospital. Yeah. And um that's needed, but that's not up front. And when my friend got killed, uh I was like, "Okay, well, I'm going to go I'm going to go where the need is the most." And right. uh so I signed up for that greenside track uh year and a half in. I went to FMTB, uh, wound up being with the Marines the rest of the time. Um, it, it changed me in a lot of ways. Uh, and all this because my brother was an asshole. So, uh, anyway. That loving haze, man. Yeah. Uh, it's amazing to me. Like, the Marine Corps especially, I have... It's a, a cult. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. But I have a dramatic respect for them. And I'm a little bit biased because a lot of my family came from Marine Corps. But there's one thing that the Marine Corps possesses that all of the other branches have to some degree, but it's not as tight knit. And that's loyalty. Oh, for sure. It is so ingrained. Like you have the whole jarhead mentality and you come across maybe not the smartest people. You do meet some way smart Marines for sure. But you have this jarhead mentality that's so... Well, the Marines uh, in general are built upon unquestioning, like, obedience to orders, right? right? So, like, you take that hill, it doesn't matter if it takes 100, 200, 1,000 guys, you take that fucking hill. Right. Um and and that's just the way it's built. Well, that and the culture, like, and the conversation you have, like, Marines will, Air Force will talk about, like. Deployment. Like, they'll talk about certain things. Like, their their conversations that they have amongst each other are totally different from Marine Corps conversations. Like, oh, for sure. Air Force, they're talking about aerospace and all this stuff. And Marine Corps are talking about, like. If you stick a finger in your butt, does that make you gay? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 100%. And that's yeah. what I love about the Marine so, Corps. So, right? like, prime example, when I was uh, deployed, a combat deployment for the Air Force could be considered being part of a B-52 wing uh, that has the range to hit Afghanistan, Iraq, or whatever Yeah. from the South Pacific, right? Mm-hmm. You're in support of combat operations therefore it's a combat deployment right the marines are there those fuckers they're up up close and personal man like uh 
I, I never went on any actual house clearing missions as a corpsman or anything like that. I'm not going to bullshit you guys, but I, I did um, take care of several casualties. And uh, what, what these guys put themselves through is absolutely incredible. And that's part of the reason why they're so fucked up in the head. And they talk about, like, you know... Uh, one knuckler versus a two knuckler up the poop hole. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I, I, I straight up <laughs> remember being in a conversation with a sergeant of mine. Uh, we were talking about you know which, which uh, female actress was uh, the hottest or whatever, and like what we would do to be with them. And this man straight up dead ass looked me in the face and said, I would eat a mile of shit just to see where it came from. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I had to respect that. Like, yeah. I mean, it's uh, real. Uh, yeah. Like it's, it's so real that it's refreshing because a lot of what the military, it, like the other branches seem so much more professional to like in a, in a way Oh yeah, that the Marine Corps is a breath of fresh air to be like, these guys are just humans <laughs> just like freaking going through a shit job. And they'll, they'll blatantly tell you that they hate it, but they are, loyal. they hate, they hate it and they love it at the same yeah, time. They're loyal to the cause. Like, like, uh, all of my, my mic fell off. So that's the, all the extra noise. Um, they, they are genuine people. Yeah. You know, like, uh, I worked with a Marine. Honest people, too. For sure. I worked with a Marine. They were our uh, gen tech out, uh, generator technician out in Afghanistan. They kept, they tried to keep us warm. My uh, HVAC system or whatever uh, didn't work. Our generator didn't really work for my tent. So I froze my ass off all winter and sweated my ass off all summer. But, uh, you know, th this person was a Native American by birth. And the fact that I could look at them and ask them if uh, when they have sex, do they call it playing Indian in the cupboard? Uh, and they took that straight faced and just gave me an answer. You know, like that, some of the closest uh, friendships you're ever going to you're ever going to make. Um, yeah, I, I mean, like. I, I, I don't regret it. I miss the guys I was with. I miss the girls I was with. Um, but I, I think it gave me a very unique ex perspective on the way this country is. And part of uh, the Marine Corps being a cultish society is evidenced by the fact that you can go to any, pretty much anywhere in the country, um, especially VA hospitals, though, and see guys wearing Marine Corps hats. You'll see stickers all over their cars, you know, like they they just love the Marine Corps. And it's because of that camaraderie through suffering yeah. that came about, <laughs> you know, and... That, like, some of my best friends to this day were guys that I was freezing my ass off with in Afghanistan. Yeah. And it's, like, it's really, like, you know, misery loves company, but suffering breeds really good friendships. Yeah. And 
I, I that's the part that I miss from the Marine Corps. The you camaraderie. Know? And yeah, I mean, I I joined the Navy, but after going greenside, I would have been greenside one hundred percent until the day I died. Yeah. Uh, I recognized the military wasn't a a station for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it was going to be really hard to accomplish what I wanted to accomplish. Yeah. Um, being a nurse practitioner and everything. Um, so I got out and I'm pursuing that and. You know, a lot of people ask me if I'd go back in, and I'm at an age where I wouldn't. Right. There's no. I mean, yeah. You learned what you needed to, and you moved on. But if I had stayed in and pursued this same track, it would have taken me probably twice as long to get yeah. there. Uh, it's how, the discipline they instill. Well, not not just that. It's uh, the it taking twice as long to get there would have been because I would have had my my duties, right. you know, like I would have had to stand watch. I would have had to miss two weeks of class at a time for going out into the field. I right. would have, you know, and and th- th- that's all, all fine. And I I know a few people that have accomplished what they wanted to as far as degrees and, um, you know, being doctors and stuff, other corpsmen. But it would have just been more difficult for me and i i was able to recognize that so i i moved on yeah but i do miss i genuinely miss the people i was with um you know i i saw a picture on the accursed facebook the other day of one of my friends <laughs> sleeping wrapped up in a sleeping bag in the middle of a mud hole somewhere uh, I can't remember the exact quote, but it was about something about his like nuts freezing off, uh, and you know I, I part of me misses being in that environment with those guys, you know. Yeah, it, you know what's interesting about the Marine Corps is that there seems to be certain niches. Like I have a friend, his name is Keegan, mm-hmm. and he was so gung ho about joining the Marine Corps. He went through Civil Air Patrol. He was like gung ho about it. Mm-hmm. And he joined and he loved it. Like he lives and breathes it. Like every photo I see of him, he's smiling because he got to live through what he wants to live through. And it seems like there are that niche of Marines, but then there there's so many other niches. But at the same time, they all share the same common belief or like same common driving force. It's it. I would say it's more of a driving force. They they share a common um, background. In order to become a Marine, uh, everyone has to go through the crucible. Right. Um, and that's what unites all of them, you know? Like, And then you have those guys that went through Baghdad in 03 and 04. You have those guys that went through, like, Marja in 09. Yeah. Uh, that's just further integration and, like, camaraderie. But yeah. uh, everyone that has held that um, Eagle Globe and Anchor has gone through the Crucible, aside from Corman, who proved their colors on the battlefield with those guys. And that's what I was. I was Corman. I I remember what changed my mind, or what even led me on to the Marine Corps, because I knew my grandpa was a Marine. I had no idea what that was until... I went to some sort of ceremony. It was like a retiring ceremony. Mm-hmm. 
and my grandpa was in Vietnam. He was he was a sharpshooter during Vietnam. He didn't like talking about it, but of course, at the same time, even just me being his grandson, I was I felt so respected among those people. Like they would go oh like, absolutely like your yeah. Vern's grandson, like okay, like type thing. And right, right. That was that's where it kind of clicked to me. It, it because it was like I think it was a cop retirement thing, but there were a lot of Marines there too. Of course, yeah, a lot of my, a lot of uh, especially grunts, uh, army and Marines, uh, get out and become law enforcement because uh, it, it's hard to do anything else, you know. Yeah, and that's yeah. that's a big reason I went to security is because I made that decision like. I wasn't quite sure the military was what I wanted. I didn't want the structure of someone telling me how to live, but I still wanted like, I still wanted to be around that like shitty environment where everyone just hates their job and like, <laughs> and yeah. bullshit. You and, know what I mean? Well, and, and that's how know, I met you. So, I mean, it, yeah. And the shitty environment thing is just simply because of what you're expected to do. I mean, like, it's, it is a 100%, like, you're like, okay, I signed up for this, and now they're going to send me to sleep in some fucking hole in the middle of an area that's, like, freezing or hot as balls or humid as fuck. Oh, don't worry here, son. Just sign here. Yeah. sign here. Yeah. Yeah, you can see the world. Don't worry about it. You'll see the world. You'll get eight hours of sleep. Yeah. 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 You'll, you'll see the world. Uh, like you know, it may not be the nicest parts of the world, but you're going to fucking see the world, right? Do you like soccer? We, we, we have a Marine Corps soccer team. You could join yeah. that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you like band? You can join the Marine Corps band. Yeah, stuff like that. And, uh, and you know, um, but honestly, my best friendships um, have been forged out of that environment. Yeah. And Dude, can we get a freaking uh, Marine Corps recruiter on here? That's what we should do. Yeah, we should. Um, it it looks like we're... Oh, yeah, we're going good. We're running a little long. I think we should maybe uh, cut this off. We're at about two hours. Yeah, no, that uh, sounds good. Um, so sorry for the long cast, you guys. We got interrupted due to uh, what we call in the industry technical times. Yeah, uh, technical times. <laughs> TT. Uh, I, I broke an HDMI cord. I don't know if that was uh, apparent in our broadcast this week, but uh, that is okay. That's yeah, why we have two of them. Yeah, and we we had to scramble to fix it, and then we picked up. And normally our conversations only go for about an hour, but now we're where we're at now, which is a little over two hours, maybe more yeah it gets to that point though it's like once you become more accustomed to talking into the mic like you look at a lot of joe rogan podcasts some of them go on for five hours really oh yeah and yeah and, and people listen to it it just comes down to the quality of content and i think we're opening up a little bit more that we can have these free conversations and not good so yeah i mean if you guys like what you hear shoot Keep. us emails i i'm gonna have to check the email again i can't remember if it's cheap shot discussions at gmail or cheap shot at gmail i think it's cheap shot discussions at gmail.com send us right, questions right. comments anything uh, you want to hear about we'll talk about it we don't give a shit and if we don't like it we just won't fucking do it so. yeah and uh well i'll at least address it and be like you know this this person wanted to hear about this but fuck you we're not going to talk about that um that's what you're going to get with our uh 
our podcast. Fuck it. If you want to be a guest, do a submission. Yeah, for sure. If you wanna... Especially if you're in the Salt Lake area. Um, we would love to talk to you about what you do, uh, what your work is, uh, you know, if you're studying anything specific, like, and really anything. If you just want to show up and shoot the shit, we're willing to have you on. Yeah. And before we leave you, I'm going to show you one more story. So over the past, uh, actually yesterday, so I went to an audition. Okay. An, an acting audition. Really? Yeah. And I went in there and I sat down. And so you're a thespian now. Oh, let me tell you the story. And you know, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I sit down, they hand me a random script, and I have to act out breaking up with my girlfriend, Audrey. Okay? Okay. I had to act this out with a homosexual man. I love it already. I had to look a, a man straight in the eye and say, I love you. I've, I haven't even done that to my father, dude. Really? I had to do that in an audition. I've done it just playing gay chicken. Really? Yeah. Oh, dude, yeah. It was It was like I went in there, and they're like – because Chris kind of pushed me to do it. Like I don't I don't know if I've told you a lot about him, but his, uh, his brother-in-law was married to Janet Jackson. Really? Yeah. Cool. So, so, uh, cool. So he's – During the, or after or before the wardrobe malfunction? I think after. Okay. Um, I think his name I, – I don't remember his name. But anyways, Chris is involved in that. He went to film school. He's he is a uh, he's represented by this talent agency. He's we like, should talk to him about that. Yeah, he told me he's like, go try it. At least try it. I go in there. They hand me a, a script. I'm reading through it. It's like, lean in for kiss. Like all this shit I'm supposed to do, and I'm right. reading. I'm like, oh, great. But I saw that there was a girl in that in the thing auditioning before, and I'm like, if it's acting with her, I'm all for it. Right. I will kiss the shit out of her. And then he came back and he's like. I'll just be your guy. I'll just be the person. So I had to be like emotionally like, I can't be in a relationship with you. Like, I love you. Just like, oh, dude, it was the most bizarre thing because it was the first time. Did I've you ever... pull it off? Um, He told me I was okay. He's like, you're okay, but your nerves are getting in the way. Okay. And he told me to like, he's like, if you're willing to do voice acting, or like voice work, send me some stuff over my way. I might be able to get you some work. But as far as acting, if you go to classes and you develop it a little bit more, you might have something. Okay. But it was still kind of oh, – dude, I was just on edge when I had to break up with dude, my – Dude, you just have to lean into it, man. I had to you break up to... with my girlfriend uh, – Your Audrey. girlfriend, Brian. Audrey, who was a man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, anyway, yeah, just lean into it. Anyway uh, – Back to wrapping this up, Cheap Shot Discussions, Caden Thompson, Dallas Weaver. Uh, hope you enjoyed the show. Sorry that it's a little bit long this time, but from what I understand, most of you fuckers don't even listen to a full episode all the way through, and you break it up into like 10, 15-minute increments, which is cool. Yeah, you know. you'll probably hear this part for like six months from now. Yeah, yeah, um, which is fine. That is fine. Uh, but... Seriously, if you have any questions or comments or want to be a guest, especially if you're in the Salt Lake area or close by, let us know. Or if you have any concerns, keep them to yourself. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's it, man. Signing yeah. off. Yeah, CheapShotDiscussions.com. This is Dallas.
this is Caden. Bye. <laughs>